0: Father God, we rejoice this morning that your love is strong. Because the reality is, Father, that your love has to be strong to reach sinners like us. And Father, we thank you for the amazing strength and the depth of that love that you would demonstrate to sinners like us, that you would send Jesus to come and to seek And to save the lost. And oh, the strength of your love to go to the depths of even a cross, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you for the strength of that love that is able to take us and, and make us who were dead in our trespasses and sins, to make us alive in Christ Jesus, to take us from darkness into light, to take us from those who were far off and being brought near, to those who were no people, to be the people of God. What an amazing love You have for us that we in Christ Jesus could become Your beloved, the one You could see as You love Your Son, You love us. Father, we ask because Your love is strong and because You are able that You would send the power of Your Holy Spirit into this room through the preaching of Your Word that Your love would clearly be heard and seen and felt and tasted as strong and as good and as pure. And, and God, would your, would your love just so overshadow the weakness of the One who preaches? the sinfulness, the weakness, the brokenness. And may we just marvel at You and Your Son and Your Spirit. God, would You you love us so deeply this morning that that we're changed from the inside out, that that we leave here more in tune with Your love and, and that Your love would compel us to walk in a manner worthy of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Because we know this for sure. The world desperately needs to know how strong God's love is. So come and speak, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Let me ask you a question. How would you feel if you were to recommend to a close group of friends and maybe some family members a specific restaurant? You say, hey, I want to I tell a group that you really care about about this one specific restaurant. And then you find out That the restaurant was slapped with some health violations. Oops. Uh, Sorry about that. Uh, A couple weeks ago, I preached on loving the Lord your God with all of your mind. And uh, in that sermon, or part of that sermon was an insert... Uh, to help you love the Lord your God with all of your mind. And in it, I gave you some books and some authors that might stir your heart and your mind and your soul to, to help love him. And, and one of the authors I gave you was a guy named Rob Bell. Um, Rob Bell is an amazing orator. Uh, maybe you've heard him preach or heard some of his NUMA videos. He's a very clever Writer, uh, maybe you've read one of his books, Velvet Elvis. Uh, he's got a church of ten thousand people in, in Grand Rapids. And Rob Bell, he's not in our, our our camp theologically. And again, the list I gave you didn't include just all clones of us. Uh, it included others and other voices that can help us think and help love God with all of our mind and all of our heart and soul and strength. Well, Rob's latest bill, latest book, Love Wins is being slapped uh, by uh, the theological uh, police, uh, rightly so. Uh, They're looking at this and and they're basically saying, you know, Rob, it sounds like you're a universalist, which basically says that everybody gets in heaven, doesn't matter what Jesus does. Uh, Basically he's kind of denying hell. I'm I'm not all the way through it yet, but as I read it, I kind of feel like uh, I'm losing a friend a bit. It really, it pains my heart. It pains my heart to see uh, where he's He's going with this. And it's an interesting book because it says love wins. Well, you know what? If I were to rename this series, we've been spending the last five weeks looking at the great commandment that God gives us to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, all our soul, all our mind, all our strength, and now this morning our neighbor is ourselves. We could easily have titled this whole thing that love wins. Love does win. You see, the reality is, is love changes everything. we got to realize that love starts with God. If you're here today and by God's grace you love Him, you know Him, you're responding to Him, let us begin with the realization that it all started with a God who loves, right? We love Him because what? He first loved us. I mean, this God is an amazing lover. You can say a lot of things about God, but do we know that God loves well, Scripture will say this. He says that God demonstrates love. It's not just words, it's action. That God demonstrates His love. That ready for this. While we were still sinners, while we had nothing to do with God, and when our hearts were at enmity with God, while we were haters of God, God sent forth His Son. You see, listen, unbelievable. Maybe you're new to Christianity. Maybe you're new to church. you got to hear this. Because God so loved, He gave. God so loves, He gives. And man did He give, He gave His only begotten Son. And now those of us who have been, by God's grace, embraced Jesus as who He is, Lord and Savior, embrace Him into our life, now we're called to love all things, all people, even His creation, in light of His love. Basically, Jesus says, hey, I'm the light of the world. I'm going to come into darkness, even in your darkness. And I'm going to shine in such a way that now, if you've embraced me as Lord and Savior... You're mine, and you're the light of the world. And now I want you to see all things through my love. It's to change the way you see everything. But of all the things that the Bible teaches, of all the things that we stand on, there's something that's foremost. First and foremost, we are to love God. Love God with all of our heart. Give it to Him. Love God with all of our soul. Thy will be done. Love God with all of our mind, seeing the whole world through a worldview of Jesus in the center and love God with all of our strength. And secondly, and and connected to the first, and we'll see that we're to love our neighbor. We're to love our neighbor as ourselves. You see, love does change everything. But listen, hold on. This is important. Love does change everything. But love doesn't change God. You see, love is an attribute of God. It's true. Scripture will even say in 1 John 4, God is love. But God is more than just love. That's true. God is love. But you know what? God is holy. God is just. God is sovereign or in control of all things. So God's love does not trump God's holiness. He still is a holy God. God's love does not negate God's justice. He's still a God who, who must administer justice. He is both the just and... And the justifier. God's love does not change the fact that God is in control of all things. Okay, let's put this right into the mesh of our culture, our society, and where we are. The Bible teaches clearly there is a God. This God is good. This God is God. And this God is in control. We live in a world that has an earthquake and a tsunami that's going to kill up to 18,000 people And they're still trying to control the radiation problems in Japan. God is good. God is God. God is in control. And yet this stuff happens. It didn't change God. See, God is immutable or God doesn't change. So how do we do it? How do we do this? How do we live with attention? Well, here's how we do it. We can only begin to understand how God loves when it mingles with His other perfected attributes or qualities on the cross. We don't get a God who's good, a God who's holy, a God who's merciful, and a God who's love apart from a cross. That's the only way the story begins to make sense of a God who is holy, of a God who is just, a God who is loving and merciful. It's the only way we could see all those things coming together. We cannot elevate one attribute of God. That's what Bell does over others. We can't say he's loving, but that trumps his holiness. That trumps his justice. That trumps his mercy. Listen, at the cross of Christ, you know what we see in the cross of Christ Jesus? We see an exclamation point of God. And here's what he says. Love wins. Holiness wins. Justice wins. Mercy wins. Because amazingly, at the cross, we can see that justice and mercy kiss. And God can maintain who He is as holy and just and loving and merciful. And there's still a mystery. I mean, still, it's it's all true. God is good and He's in control, He's in control of everything. He knew about that earthquake, He knew about the tsunami. His hand of providence is over everything. And there's mystery there. I'm telling you, there's mystery. And I want to unpack it, and I want God to look good. And I I want God to be able to come out smelling okay after some of the world's terrible disasters. But the reality is, is that He is just and merciful, and the cross starts to make the story make sense. And we are in great danger when we state one attribute of God like love. And we lift it up so high. That it just dilutes and pollutes and changes who God really is. You see, there's a God who reveals himself to us. And our job isn't to clean him up. And our job isn't to rearrange his parts. Our job is to kneel and say, God, you are God. You are holy. You are loving. You are just. And as far as I could see that, i make sense at the cross. But there's a mystery that goes beyond that. In light of Jesus' divine love for us, he says, Because I love you. And if we ever want to see if God loves us, we see that cross. And right there at the cross is where we clearly see Jesus saying to the Father, I love you with all of my heart. Father, I love you with all of my soul. Father, I love you with all of my mind. Father, I love you with all of my strength. It's right there at the cross where we see Jesus saying and looking into each one of our eyes as his neighbor. He says, and I love you as my neighbor. And I love you as myself. So in light of Jesus' divine love for us, we should love our neighbors. That's where we are today. Love our neighbors. So what does our love our neighbors require of us? You want to follow along in the bulletin uh, the outline there? The first thing is this, knowing who our neighbor is. If we're going to love our neighbor, we got to know who our neighbor is, right? That kind of makes sense. Uh, as a matter of fact, it's in Luke's gospel who's responding to this. Uh, Luke's uh, gospel where Jesus gives the greatest commandment. Uh, Again, there are some religious leaders, Sadducees and Pharisees, and they're trying to trip Jesus up, and they're trying to expose him for what he really isn't, but he really is God, and he's silencing them through amazing answers that they can't even speak. But this one lawyer stands up, and here's what he says. He says to Jesus, well, will you tell me who my neighbor is? And do you know what he's really asking there? It's very intriguing When he's asking, who is my neighbor? What he's really saying is, can you tell me who I'm to love? Or probably in his twisted thinking, can you point out the ones that I don't have to love? Well, this certain lawyer, I mean, what he was trained in, it was Old Testament law. So he knew it. So when Jesus said, and he answered properly the great commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he also said, love your neighbors yourself. This lawyer knew that Jesus was quoting Leviticus 19. Now, if you have your Bibles and you want to turn to Leviticus 19, Leviticus 19 verses 18 and 19 say this, or 17 and 18. Leviticus 19, 17 and 18. You shall not hate your brother in your heart. But you shall reason frankly with your neighbor lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So the one who asked a question, kind of disingenuous question to ask He would know what Scripture said. He would know what Jesus was referring to. Well, Jesus says this. You're you're to love the one who's close to you. You're to love the one who's like you. But he would also know verse 34. If you're there in Leviticus 19, look at 34. He says this. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as a a native among you. You shall love him as yourself. Wow. So Jesus is going to say, hey, you're supposed to love the one who's near. You're supposed to love the one who's like you, who's close. Uh, Not only that, you're supposed to love the one who's come near, uh, the one who sojourns or hangs out with you. But when he asks that question in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus starts to tell a story. And it's very interesting. You know the story is the Good Samaritan. He asks the story of, who's my neighbor? Well, as Jesus tells the Good Samaritan story, and many of you are familiar with that story, if you've been around the Bible or even not been around the Bible... Jesus tells the story of a certain man. He's unrecognizable. We don't know if he's Jew, Gentile. We don't know if he's good, bad. We don't know anything about this certain man. All we know is he fell into the hands of robbers. And not only that, but he was stripped of anything that would identify him as something. He was stripped and beaten, almost died. And so this certain man was one in need that needed to have someone love him. The story goes that a lot of religious folks came his way. uh, Folks that should know That God calls us to love. And many of the religious folks looked and they went on the other side. But there was a Samaritan, kind of one that uh, a Jewish uh, audience who's reading this would say, this is somebody on the outside. He comes and loves he comes and provides for him. He, he puts him on his donkey. He, he mends his wounds. He pays his debt. I mean, this is a true neighbor. So Jesus acting, responding to this disingenuous question of who my neighbor is, he knew. He knew that this lawyer knew Leviticus. He knew that he knew he should be loving the Jews and those who claim to be brought into the Jewish community. But now Jesus radically, in beautiful Jesus fashion, unbelievably unpacks this, and he basically says, you are to love anyone in need. You can't even distinguish who this certain man is. You can't tell, but you're to love him. You're to love anyone in need. And and Jesus goes on, and, and, and he will tell us through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in 1 John. I mean, 1 John 4, 19 and 20 says this, you can't love God who you can't see and hate your brother who you can see. So there's got to be a love thing here. If you're loving God, you have to love one another. You have to love your, your brother and your sister. So now we start getting the list. Okay, who's my neighbor? Well, it's one who's close by, right? It's, it's one who decides to come into our camp. It's one who is in need. Well, not only that, it's clearly our brother. But then Jesus, on the Sermon on the Mount, in, in, in Matthew 5, verses 43 and 44, he says, listen, you've heard it said. And he's thinking back to Leviticus. You've heard it said, you're to love your neighbor and hate your enemy. No, no, no. I'm gonna clarify that. Make sure you understand. You are to love your enemy. So when the question is, who's my neighbor? It's anybody that God providentially puts into your path. It's anybody, any image bearer of God that God puts into your path, you are to love them. Even the crazies on I-4. Even the crazies in your office. Even the knuckleheads in your neighborhood. Even the knuckleheads in your church. Even the knuckleheads of your pastor. (laughs) Love those whom God puts in your way. Love those whom God has orchestrated uh, to come into your life. That is who we are to love. You know we love so conditionally. Let me ask you the question: Who in your life are you saying, Jesus? Do I have to love them? What you're asking is, who's my neighbor? Who in your life? I'm guarantee you got him. Who do you want to love conditionally? You know what we do. With, you know what we do. Uh, here's what we do in church typically. We have a guy like Rob Bell and we have a guy like Rob Bell who wants to take one attribute of of God like love and elevate it at the expense of everything else and say, man, you can't do that. You can't do that. That's just wrong. It's amazing how quick. The fastest people to ever throw stones are Christians. It's true. And the fastest people to wound their own are usually Christians. I'm lamenting for the guy. I'm really hoping that just something happened, but But listen, here's what we have a tendency to do. We have a tendency now to elevate justice or God's law over love, don't we? Oh, he's out. He's a moron. What was he thinking? I mean, come on. We we can't, listen. We can't compromise truth, church. Listen, we can't compromise truth. That's why I said, love the Lord your God with all your mind. It means that we have to be expanding everything God has given us in our mind for a worldview. we got to be taking in God's word and his truth and living by the power of his spirit. We, we, we can't just gloss over what the world wants to water down with God's word. we got to know it and love it and defend it. we got to. But we can't at the expense of charity. Did you hear me? We can't at the expense of charity. We're still called to love. And so all of a sudden we see one brother who's going to lift up love at the expense of everything else. Everybody's going to grab a rock. And I think that we have to be able to delineate and say, no, this is wrong very clearly, but I love my brother. I hope he's my brother. Don't know. Does it make sense? I'm on, I'm on thin ice, but i got to tell you, we ask the question, who do I not have to love? And we don't like loving people who don't fit us. I mean, if you're a Republican, you usually are, you have a hard time with Democrats, okay? Uh, a Christian have very hard times with Muslims. Uh, we, we, have, we have gators have a hard time with Seminoles. I mean, there's just the reality is that there's people that you just don't pro, have a propensity to love. Now, there, there's clear differences between those who are true sons of the living God through the blood and righteousness of Jesus Christ and those who re- worship Allah. And, and we should never try to unite as brothers. And make one what God hasn't made one. Never. But I'm telling you, he's called us to love our neighbor as ourselves. And the good Samaritan story is, I can't tell if he's, if he's a Muslim. I can't tell if he's a Jew. I can't tell if he's a Gentile. I can't tell if he's done the right thing. I can't tell if he's moral. I can't tell if he's cheated on his wife. I can't tell. God tells me to love him. Wow. Wow. Wow, who's your neighbor? Then we have to know how to love yourself. If you're to love our neighbors as ourselves, the biggest question that everybody should be asking here, well, 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 how do I love myself? If you're to love your neighbors as yourself, well, how how should you love you? And really, this is kind of interesting if we think about it for a little bit, because in Matthew 16, and we remember in the beginning of the year, I did this wholeness series, and, and through this wholeness, we talked about God's call for us to deny ourselves. In Matthew 16, Jesus says, Deny ourselves. Matter of fact, he goes on to say, Hey, if you want to find your life, you got to lose it. So, Jesus, through the Gospels, you might hear a story that Jesus says, You have to die to yourself. And now he says, You got to love yourself. You might say, Well, which one is it? Am I to deny myself, die to myself, or am I to love myself? How do you do it? Well, here's what you to die to: die to your self-love that is self-centered. Die to your self-love that is self-centered. That's natural. That will come naturally to you. That is what we naturally will do. Self-love produces pride, and one thing we know about pride: you read the scripture, you cannot miss this. Pride is repugnant to a holy God. It's repugnant. Proverbs 16, verse 16 and 17. God says this: I hate haughty eyes things that god says he hates we should perk our ears up and say wow wow are those things proverbs 16 18 pride you know this comes before destruction haughty spirit before a pride before a fall so what do we need to die to die to this self-love that is self-centered that's so natural self-love has to be christ-centered A holy biblical self-love is loving ourselves in Christ Jesus. It's this two things. One, it loves the image of God who we are. And that includes believers and non-believers. Self-love loves the fact that God has so loved us, He, He has made us in a way that reflects Him. Yes, it's marred through sin. But the reality is it's still His image. And love who we are in Christ Jesus. Love who we are having been washed in the blood of the Lamb, robed in His righteousness, adopted into His family, setting an amazing eternal love on us. Love us as God sees us, hot as God sees us. He sees us through His perfect Son, Jesus, the only spotless Lamb of God. He sees us through the obedient big brother. He sees us in the beloved of Christ He now puts on us. And now we can love ourselves in Christ Jesus because that's the way God sees and loves us. It's amazing. It's beautiful. You know what this will do? This will keep us from loathing ourselves. This will keep us from loathing our weaknesses. This will keep us from just every day going through life with our head down saying, I've done it again. I've blown it. I'm a mess. I'm no good. He came because we were weak. His strength is perfected in our weakness. Listen listen to the the craziness of what the world wants to tell you and whisper in your ear. The world wants to tell you that you're not lovable. The world wants to tell you, listen, your mirror wants to tell you. Listen, your life wants to tell you. Your sin wants to tell you. Your brokenness wants to tell you. There's a record going on in your mind 24-7 that says you're unlovable. You're broken. You're wrong. You're a loser. But the gospel of Jesus Christ is greater. And listen, if God can love us in Christ Jesus, who are we not to love ourselves? Are we going to have a higher standard than a holy God? Are we going to all of a sudden who, listen, he knows us? What's the song we sing? He knows us and he loves us what? Just the same. So we can look in the mirror and know our brokenness and know that Jesus has, if we're in Christ, set us free and he's still working to set us free. He's not going to stop. Love yourself as you see yourself in Jesus. And then we'll be free. Jesus loves you. Do you love yourself? And the way Jesus loves you should cause you to love your neighbor. That you can, you can be truthful. Listen, here, here's, here's the amazing power of the gospel. We've been saying this all year long and hopefully all ministry long is the gospel now gives us the ability to love our neighbors truthfully. I'm not talking about them truthfully right now. I'm talking about you truthfully. That you can enter in and in fact, you, you know you don't have all the answers. You know you're broken. You know you have issues. But listen, you know you're loved. You know it. You know you're loved by the only one who matters. And because you're so amazingly loved in this Gospel, you now have the ability to take your veil off before a holy God and expose everything you are. Because why? The blood has covered it all. Why? Because He loves you just the same. And that's the power of the Gospels. We love one another in truth. In love. Oh, how we love this. Proper self-love is seen in Philippians 2, 3-7. Amazing passage. Philippians two three through seven says this. Now, in light of what Christ has done, here's here's where we start quoting. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of us should look to the have the same attitude of Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he humbled himself. He took on the form of servant and a man. He became obedient even to the point of death. Death on the cross. You know what it means to love your neighbors, to be like Christ and empty yourself for them. Through nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. I'm going to give you two practical tips for loving your neighbors yourself. And listen, don't forget, those of you who are married, your closest neighbor is your spouse. Two practical tips. Here's the first one. Give the benefit of the doubt. Give the benefit of the doubt to others. You give it to yourself all the time. <laughs> you know, you justify what you're doing all the time. You have, I'm really busy, and I just can't do this, and I'm stressed out. And I... Give, give the benefit of the doubt to the ones closest to you. That's an amazing way to love them. Uh, secondly, like, secondly, is remember you're only seeing the tip of the iceberg. You're only seeing the tip of the iceberg of what's happening. We see each other and a lot of times we're not acting properly or we're just out of sorts. And we get angry and we just feel like they're somehow violating us. And we just completely just forget that maybe there's something going on in their life that's causing them to act like this. I got permission to tell the story a few weeks ago. Uh, Saturday, I woke up and, and uh, something happened in the morning that reminded Katie of her cancer ordeal and, and something reminded her and she was wrestling with it. And she was praying, God, I don't want it to come back. I don't want it to come back. I, I just don't want to go back through that again. And then she, she was worrying praying about it. And, and, uh, and, and what I saw was, was somebody who was not responding real well and somebody who had short answers. I'm like, what's up? I mean, come on, it's Saturday. Snap out of it. Shape up. She turns around, she's got tears on her cheeks. And she says, I just don't want the cancer to come back. I'm like, oh. I just didn't give you the benefit of the doubt. I, I, I just didn't understand there was something on the surface. I, I just was so selfish that you weren't making me feel better. Two practical things. Knowing, listen to this. Listen, listen Orangewood, I wanted to start off with this. And I, and I, and I didn't because I, I'm hoping that we can take the turn here and see this as kind of a turning point of this. We start off by saying, you know, who is your neighbor and, and how do you love yourself? But you've got to understand this. You have to understand this if you call yourself a Christian. Look, look at the third point. Knowing that you cannot love God properly if you don't love your neighbor properly. You can't. I mean, we live our Christian lives and, and sometimes we feel like it's just this, this walk with Jesus and it's all about me and Jesus and how Jesus and I and the triune God are getting along and it's all about us. And yes, it so starts there. But God's Word clearly says that you can't love me properly if you're not loving the one sitting next to you or the one whose house is next to you or the one whose cubicles next to you. You can't love me right if you're not loving them right. You can't. That's what God's word says to us. Remember, God amazingly loves us. And until you see your neighbor rightly, you won't love rightly. I love, what, I, love, I love what Matthew 22 says this. He says about the first two commandments. He said, the second one is like it. It's the same foundation. It's homogeneous, basically. I mean, this, these two commandments of loving God and loving your neighbor, they, they can't be separated. That's, they're like a foundational deal. Does it make sense? You can't parse them apart. If you really love God, you really love in his image. You're really loving those around you. If you really love God, you're going to love those next to you. 1 John 4, 10 through 12 says this. It says that God's love, you ready for this? God's love is perfected, perfected through the way we love one another. God's amazing, perfect, life giving love is point, is it, is for us to love him and to love one another. It's perfected that way. And the only way we can love him well is to love one another. I gotta give you a, a two minute ad on what the church is doing that's so important here. We gotta be a community that's together in small groups we got to be a community that's really loving one another so truthfully that we can take the mask off and holding one another up. we got to be a community because you know what? You are so broken and I am so broken. Do you know how many stories in here right now are so broken? Do you know how many people are sitting around you that, that seriously their lives are falling apart? They may look good and they're trying to hold it together. There's people who had to drag themselves here because of the pain in their life. And right now, without us having a community that's, that's linked together... And without us having a strong shepherding ministry of small groups, it all comes back to your pastoral staff. and I love you that we, your needs are greater than we can carry. And really, the most biblical model is for us to be loving one another around God's word, in a gospel-so community, saying the truth, saying, "I'm in so much pain because of my children. My marriage is really on the brink. I'm about to lose my job. My house is in foreclosure. I'm not making these stories up. These are stories of the people next to you. And until we can let the gospel be so real to us that we need to love one another, we're going to lock arms as a family, and we're going to speak to truth and love, and we're going to remind each other about the amazing love of Christ and the gospel, and we can shepherd each other in small groups, we're in trouble. I'm so glad it's coming. I'm so glad it's coming for the fall. I don't see it's a silver bullet that's going to cure everything. But I tell you, because I love you and God's giving me a pastor's heart, man, oh man, is your brokenness here. And man, oh man, do we need to have hold on to one another. Lastly, seeing Jesus loving you as, as his neighbor is the only thing that will compel us to do this right. My brothers and sisters, he told a good Samaritan story. And until we realize that You are that certain man that sin has stripped and beaten and broken on. That you were lost. That Jesus came to rescue you and me until you see yourself, until you can look at the cross of Christ Jesus and say, oh, how he loved me, until you can look at the cross and realize he became my sin, until you can look at the cross and say, he is dying for me, until you can go to the empty tomb and say, he was resurrected for me in my life, I have been set free, I have been rescued. Oh, how God loves me. Me, a sinner who doesn't deserve it. One who was dead in his trespasses and sins. Oh, how he's brought me into his family. Until we see ourselves as Jesus is loving us as his neighbor, pouring life into us, sacrificing everything for us for the Father's glory, we'll never be able to love our neighbor rightly. And so what the Gospel should do is is align us back up to this amazing, loving God and fix our eyes on the author and the perfecter of our faith, Jesus Christ. And let His Spirit pour all over us again and amaze us once again of all how He loves us. Love does win. It rescues us, sinners like us. And it loves us in such a way that maintains His justice and holiness. And now He wants to change the whole world through us. Listen. Until we see, until we see the gospel and what Christ's finished work has done for us, we can't love the Lord our God with all of our heart. But when we do, we give Him our heart and say, that's It's yours. You purchased it with your blood. Until we see what Christ has rightfully done for us. We can't love Him with all of our soul. But when we do, we say, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thy will I give to you. I lay my life before you. Until we see what the finished work of Christ has done for us, we can't love Him with all of our mind. But now we say, God, may I see all things through the worldview of Christ and Christ crucified. When we see Jesus pouring out His blood and losing all of His strength to bring us life, now we can say, I want to love you with all of my strength and all of my weakness. It's all yours. And when we've been neighbored, gospel-neighbored by Jesus and brought into the family, then we can go and love our neighbor as ourselves. Because what Christ Jesus has done for us. Love wins. It changes everything. Begins with his love for us. Our love for him. And our love for one another. Let us pray. And Father, as I pray, I just... I, I wasn't planning on this. I, I want to I pray for Rob Bell and Mars Hill Church. God, you've used him to say a lot of amazing, awesome things. And I want to love him well. Father, I know that sitting in the crowd here today are some real broken lives. And there's some who just need to sit here right now and just just know just know you love them. And there's some that need to just know that whatever their brokenness is and wherever their story has turned, that your arms aren't too short. Your love is strong. It still rescues. Father, I pray for the ones who've given up hope or the ones who are just hanging on. Oh, how you love them. Father, I pray for each of us that... You you would allow us to, to look afresh at the cross. And just to be reminded, it's just not a story for someone else. I mean, it's our story. And I thank you for that cross, God, because there we see, oh, how you love. And it's there that we see your holiness. Because our infinite sins deserved an infinite punishment, and oh, how Jesus endured it because you're a holy God. We see your justice. We see your mercy. But God, I pray for this church. I pray that the pastor and the elders and the deacons and the staff and each member will be able to look at that cross of Christ and, and just know that it was our sin that held them there. and It was his love that kept them there. And now you tell us that this whole thing of the Bible is all summed up by the way we respond to your love. The way we love you with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the way we love our neighbor as ourself. Oh God, I pray for your glory and the purity of your church and the advancement of Christ's kingdom that you would cause us to love well. Because love wins. In Christ's name, amen.